Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analyst, the only podcast to get booked before kickoff. My name is Cameron McDonald and I've spent the last three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. My co-host, Rupert Meadows, has written and broadcasted about all things football on platform stuff such as TalkSport Radio and Jimmy Sport. The bubble else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Cam. And we are back to finish our one signing for each team in January series. And this week we'll be looking at the teams outside of the traditional top six. Uh, how have you been finding the old uh, wearing of the manager's hat this time around? Yeah, I've been enjoying it. Although I, I would say I've, I've seen myself as less of a manager and more of a, a director of football. I've taken a lot of my suggestions for... to the manager's office and he's sort of thrown me back, thrown me back. So I've had to pitch a lot of them, especially to Sean Dyke. He wasn't having any of the players I pitched to him. I tell you what, I too, as um, I really saw myself more as like an assistant manager, you know, not quite in the uh, true line of fire from both the border and all the fans, mm-hmm. but right up in there and um, on the secretary level, talking to the big guys, I also found Sean Dyke a horror to work with. None of the players uh, seemed to fit his system, but here we are. Um, well, it's, it's just he just kept asking every single player I brought in for an interview whether they voted leave or remain. And it, it just, when they said they wouldn't answer, he was like, well, you won't play for my team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tell you what, there are some, I don't know if you found this, but some um, teams I was like, they have to be English. <laughs> I, I think that's true. I think that's true. And I think especially with now that we're looking outside of the top six, when we looked at the top six teams, you had a little bit more license to go, well, I could see this side going for a player from PSG or, or Borussia Dortmund or wherever. There are some teams that I looked at both just financially and also the way that the clubs work. Um, I, I was like, they would have to sign someone either from the Prem or from the Championship or League One or one of the players from, from you know, who's already integrated into the, the English league system. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, the other thing that I did not realise um, until I really started to sink my teeth into all this is that I am a cheap bastard. <laughs> all of my searches begun at uh, whose contract ends in 2021, um, who's fallen out with their manager, who can I get on loan? Yeah, I tell you what, it was... Um, I. <laughs> well, I'm sure the managers would be much more likely to agree to your uh, frugal selections than some of the ones I've gone for, which are, are, are wallet busters. So. Have you gone ambitious? Oh, no, no. See, I'm, I'm raiding the uh, relegated clubs and stuff like that. That's, that's my bread and butter. Oh, well. Let's see. Shall we start off with Aston Villa alphabetically, um, who, of course, had a, you know, a real robust recruitment this season. They turned themselves from the favourite to go down after Norwich last year to the last team to maintain a perfect win record this year. Uh, who would you say that they could stand to add to their ranks to keep the form going? Sure thing. So I um, basically figured that I think where they could most use a new player is as a backup striker to Ollie Watkins. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In the business of kind of trying to keep it, keeping a bit of diversity in their attack, I've gone for someone who's a little different. I've gone for a really physical player who I think can just act as a really good target man, get him behind, hold up the play well, and let all of that good creativity behind him lead to some goals. So I've gone for uh, Musa Morega from FC Porto. Oh, okay. Interesting. So an international signing kicking us off, which just completely vanquishes your... It is an international signing, but his contract ends at the end of the season. So I think he'd come cheap. Um, He is 29, so towards the end, but still very much in his prime years. He's six foot one. He's built very well. He's rapid. He's like a super big muscular dude. Um, He tends to get goals. And yeah, I think that he could be a uh, 
pretty nifty little signing. He tends to score, I guess, one in every two in every five games, which is pretty solid for for your backup striker. Mm. Yeah, and you think he'd be willing to come from Porto to be a, a backup striker for for Villa, or? I mean, this is this really is the question, isn't it? I I also feel like the other thing we didn't qualify is that we're talking about dream signings. This is like who we think they could get in an ideal world. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to keep a note of realism in it, mm-hmm. but you do have to like cut it off at some point. Assume a certain level of compliance Sometimes from the incoming like, players. Sometimes you get into the. Well, it's just hard because like sometimes you got to get into like the, you know, would that player be willing to move? Yes or no? Mm. I'm not sure. He he isn't the consistently solid, always set to start every week striker for Porto. Mm-hmm. So I think that if he had certain promises, he maybe could come. I always kind of tend to hype up in my mind the appeal of joining the Prem. Yeah, which I don't like think needs a lot of hyping up. I think it is a, minds. a real thing. So yeah, I. Th- I think there's a chance he could come, but obviously, you know, it, it maybe takes a special sell to get anyone to the Midlands. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, Birmingham, second busiest city in the you know in the UK. That's true. That's true. Who uh, who's on your radar? So I as director have of sports looked at Villa, and I think Villa are, are a nicely organised outfit. But I think part of the reason they've been successful this season is because they haven't been afraid to leave behind the few things that made them successful last season. So they signed, you know, attacking players in Ross Barkley and Ollie Watkins, um, even though they already had that was one of the strongest positions that they had in, in Jack Grealish. Um, and so I think another area you should look at is John McGinn. Now for me, he was Villa's second most important player last mm, season. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's still a great option to have, but because they have those new and more sort of fluent attacking options like Ross Barkley and like Ollie Watkins, I think they could look towards an alternative for certain games where they could replace McGinn's sort of creativity with a more traditional midfield destroyer. Um, and if you had that to play alongside Douglas Louise, you could really just lock down certain games that you didn't want to concede a lot of goals in. Um, and, you know, you could also play him alongside McGinn and have a sort of different lurker or a midfield three. Um, for me, the player that I would look at as a nice sort of in-between step uh, between McGinn and Douglas Louise is Mikkel Marino of Real Sociedad. Um, he's six foot two. Ooh, interesting. He loves to win the ball back in midfield. He's great in the air. He's played for the likes of Borussia Dortmund and the Spanish national team, so he's got real pedigree. And he's even had a brief stint at Newcastle uh, back in fourteen fifteen, I believe, when he was... Uh, 18 or 19 so he's familiar with the Premier League um, he's still very young he's 24 years old and I can see him as one of those players to be a great investment he could grow alongside the other talents that Villa have there that are developing um, and for me would be you know a player that would jump at the opportunity I think to join a side that looks like it's on their way up and be one of the key architects of making Villa a, a stronger side yeah a solid player I mean very young like a lot of upside um, he wouldn't come cheap uh, and but I don't think they're put off by that. Say, to be fair, they spent they had their largest he, uh, net spend of any team this this summer. So uh, that's uh, true. After Chelsea, yeah, he, of course. Marino did just sign a contract extension in July until twenty twenty five. I think that at the moment, though, contract extensions, you know that that used to be a really, really, really big, uh, you know, issue for clubs within certainly, and I think it still is within the Premier League. But the Premier League, the the money that we have relative to other leagues is so vast, I, I could still see Villa just slapping a large amount of money um, and, and stealing him away. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I definitely think, um, yeah, it would just mean that the price tag would be a little high, mm-hmm. but I also think that there's a massive over-reliance on John McGinn, so it would be great to, you know, take him off a little earlier in games when you're looking to close them out. Um, I do think 
you know, he's so important to that system. It would be great to get a player as well who was similar and could also help create from deep. Um, but that's a very hard player to kind of integrate into a system that's designed around very kind of specific, unique um, players like John McGinn. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think someone like uh, Marino coming in could, could do an absolute job. Uh, moving on to uh, Brighton. Uh, this is one of the ones I found toughest um, because I think they're a bit of a weird one. They have a lot of options waiting in the wings that we haven't really seen a lot of yet. Aaron Connolly sure, yeah. is kind of on the fridges, uh, fringes, but he's sort of impressed sometimes when given the chance. Joel Veltman is a defender that could be an answer to their weakness at the back, which is sort of their glaring you know, issue at the moment. But because of fitness and suspensions between the two of these players, we haven't seen Veltman and Lewis Dunk um, play together yet. So, or certainly start together yet. And that's what you would assume would be the partnership you'd build the Brighton defence around. Um, so again, it's kind of... Not different. Ben White. Uh, well, Ben White has been playing as a midfielder for them lately, sometimes dropping back yeah. when he needs to. But if you're looking in terms of, they've had Adam Webster as sort of ever-present and then Joel Veltman and one of Dan Byrne sure, or, or sure. Lewis Dunk when, when available. So if you were looking to build a, a defence with the top players, you would think Veltman and Dunk. So I was kind of hesitant to go for a centre-back, even though that's maybe the most immediately obvious area they need. Um, so I'm going to go completely off book and really, really rogue and bear with me here. But I would actually, I would actually displace their best player, Tariq Lamptey, and buy a right back. Um, and I, I looked at Brighton's system. Interesting. They play a 3-4-3. Three, three. And in this situation, I would push Lamptey up further and have him on the wing. Because already he's involved in about 90% of their attacking scenarios. Every time you watch Brighton coming forward, he's either the one carrying the ball forward or he's on the opposite flank, creating just panic and, and discord amongst the opposition defence. Um and a player that I think could be really, really useful to bring in to replace him is Joe Rankin Costello over at Blackburn. Um, he's another fullback that's had time in midfield. He's played as a midfielder as well as a fullback, so he would sit nicely as a wing back. And additionally, when Brighton do inevitably have Lamptey taken off their hands, he could grow to fill the gap that he would leave, which is something that I think is important for Brighton to do because Lamptey's been so good for them so far. He's not probably not going to be there after the end of this season. Um, so I think this would be not only a good signing in terms of maximising the time he has left, but also preparing to fill the hole when he does leave. Interesting, yeah. Oh, I like I like that you thought about it to that extent. I definitely think that, well, it's hard because part of what makes Street Lamptey really good is that he also is a pretty solid right back. Mm-hmm. And he's really good operating all up and down that flank. I think I could definitely see... I guess them kind of dovetailing quite well and one pushing up while the other staying back and being able to rotate quite effectively, creating like nice little overloads Mm -hmm. um, while remaining quite defensively robust. Um, I could definitely see that. Like where your head's at. Who have you gone for 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 Brighton? Uh, I've gone a little in the, in the opposite range. Um, I think I've, I've, again, I've gone for a, an attacker. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, Bryson have struggled for goals a little bit. It's all coming through Neil Morpé, um, and they need a little bit more creative force. So I've gone for someone who is quite dynamic. He does get goals, but he's also got quite good interplay. Someone who got relegated last season is Joshua King. Oh, okay. That, that's a, a proven Premier League striker. He, he knows where to get the goals. He yeah. sure is. I, I like the exactly. look of that Exactly, and I think, um, I think Brighton need to, you know, in order to turn around this season and make sure that they're going to finish in a safe position. You want someone that's proven. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to be taking risks halfway through the season, I don't think. Yeah, maybe the signing they should have made instead of signing Danny Welbeck when they did. Well, I mean... Who, you know, has had his moments. Danny Welbeck is is who he is. He has had his moments, um, and he could well prove to be a great signing uh, in the long run. 
but I think Josh King has a little bit more of an edge to him than, than Welbeck does. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's a, that's, that's, that's a good place. Uh, looking at Burnley, which is, you know, somewhere that both of us had a tiff with the, uh, the gaffer, who do you think, uh, or rather, who have you managed to pitch successfully to, to Sean Dyke? So, um, I pitched and Sean Dyke loved it. Um, he is an English lad through and through. Mm-hmm. He's up and coming. He's still only 20, despite having been on the scene for a number of years. Um, he's a really hard worker. He's a nice all-round dynamic midfielder, which is what I think Burnley need at the moment. They need someone that will help contribute and attack, but will also kind of maintain that midfield defensive solidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gone for Will Hughes. Oh, okay. yeah, that is, he is definitely a, a Sean Dyke player in my mind, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, he's also, I, I talked recently about um, this kind of new mould of English midfielder, um, in in the style of James Ward Prowse or Mason Mount, these hardworking English young players who are also pretty technically apt, mm-hmm. um, but aren't afraid to put a shift in and stick a foot in. And I think Will Hughes could come through and really rejuvenate Burnley's season with a lot of uh, nice young energy. Yeah, which is something they they definitely need. I, I've gone a slightly different direction because I think there's something that Burnley need even more uh, than energy in the midfield, and that's that's goals. Um, and I look at, obviously, yeah. their, their front partnership, which is usually Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood. And for me, they're just too similar as strikers. And I think they need someone with a bit of pace, you know, get a bit of a little and large partnership going on uh, and just add, je- add, you know, help add general width. So, you know, you can play in these phases where someone can sort of play off the striker or play on a bit of the wing. Uh, for me, I would look at Ivan Tony down at Brentford. Um, he is enjoying absolutely magnificent form and this is definitely one of those signings that is entering a little bit of the, sure. the sort of dream signing category but he's the person who came yeah. in to replace Ollie Watkins he's got 10 goals and 10 league games so far now the reason that I was sort of drawn to him do you think they'd be willing to let him go I mean I guess it's Brentford they'd let anyone go for the right price well so so, but... so this is my thing Brentford paid five million pounds for him which is rising to 10 million pounds with add-ons so I think it would have to be a decent amount of money paid by Burnley, who are notoriously a little bit tight with the purse strings. So their record transfer fee... Like 14 million? Well, their record transfer is 15 million for Christmas. I think it would probably be in the region of 20, 25 million. But what uh, what makes me think that Burnley might be susceptible to paying that amount of money is the fact that he's 24 years old, which means that he also represents a massive resale value. And if you could correctly pitch to the board, listen, we'll pay 25 million now, but you know what? In three years, we'll get 60 million for him from for Man United. I could maybe see them do that. I think that much like you've sort of gone for Will Hughes because he's a bit of a, a Sean Dyke player, I like um, Ivan Tony for Burnley because he's had a lot of experience at various League 1 and League 2 sides, which I think is something that Sean Dyke would massively value. He's played a couple of games in the Prem with Newcastle as, as well as Yeah, well, so he was at Newcastle for a couple of years, wasn't he? And then he, he spent a couple of different years on loan. So he's had a, a really rounded experience of English football, which is something that, yeah, if there's a one manager in the league that's going to look at that and go, yeah, I, I value that, it's, it's our man Sean. Um, so yeah, I think it would maybe be a little bit out of Burnley's spending you know, habits, but I think it's something that they could be convinced to do. And if they did, it could be a player that, like Ollie Watkins over at Villa, could just completely turn the team around. Definitely. Um, nice. Like it. Yeah, I mean, Burnley definitely need goals. I uh, I do like Chris Wood and I do like Ashley Barnes. I think they could score goals if they had a bit of creativity behind them. But I also think, you know, partnering them with uh, someone new wouldn't be the end of the world either. Mm. So I like I like it. Uh, moving into guessing game, I've got a, a fun one for you this week. Um, 
This is oh, nice. a, a player with an interesting career trajectory. He has played for Manchester City, Real Madrid, okay. and Liverpool. He it, Man City, Real Madrid, and Liverpool. Mm-hmm. He is one okay. of only three Englishmen to ever win two Champions League titles. Um, and just to clarify, that's as the Champions League, not including the European Cup. So since it became the Champions League, he is one of only three Englishmen to ever win two Champions League titles. Okay. When when did it become the Champions League, by the way? Uh, in the late 90s, or early, early 90s, I believe. Early 90s, okay. Because it was still the European Cup in 86. So yeah, I think it was 90s. Um and uh, despite this impressive list of accolades and a playing career spanning over 33 years, he only received 37 call-ups to his national side. So, okay. despite being one of only three Englishmen to ever win two Champions League titles, only ever got 37 call-ups to his national side. Only 37 call-ups. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is really tough. Um, well, you've got trying to think all the way the, till the end. Real Madrid is the real clue. Uh I'm trying to think of Englishmen that have played for Real Madrid, and I know that there's a player on in the corner of my mind that isn't quite clicking yet. But I've got some time to think about We've it. Got all the way till the end. Um, yeah. So I will return. Uh, in the meantime, let's pick up back with the uh, the league table, looking at Crystal Palace. Let's. Yeah, so um, would you like to go first or shall I? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take charge here and, and go and go first. Um, I think Palace, we just talked about how Burnley need goals. And I think Palace don't necessarily need just goals, but they need more attacking options. Um, I think all too often it's left to Wilfried Zaha to do all the work. And Batshuayi could settle in well, but he hasn't quite chipped in with his share of the work yet. Um and they do have players like Christian Benteke and Jordan Ayew somewhere in the squad, but they're not even making the squad ahead of a Batshuayi that can't score, which suggests to me that they're not in the plans uh, for Palace. Um, I look at, there's a player, 21-year-old Senegalese forward, playing in Ligue 1 called Ibrahima Niane. He plays for FC Metz, and he's scored six goals so far this season. Um, and the side now sit in seventh place, which is pretty impressive given they only got promoted uh, the season before last. Uh, like Zaha and Batshuayi, he's really pacey, and I think he can play anywhere across the front three, which is really nice for Palace in terms of options. If they choose to play a front three, uh, they can play that sure. three. If Zaha gets injured, they have a perfect backup and it's a system that works really well for a player like Niane because Mets line up quite similarly. So I think he is one of those players that could be a great backup. He could also be a great addition. I could see him fitting into that system very well um, and, and he's, a, he's a proven goal scorer at least in Ligue 1. Mm, nice. Like it. Well, who, who have you gone for for Palace? So I have gone in a similar... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking same lines as you. Um, this actually is probably my most ambitious signing <laughs> that I'm, I'm hoping that Palace can get. <laughs> when you said you were um, looking at players whose contracts ran out, are we looking at Messi? Does he feature anywhere <laughs> for Crystal Palace? It's it's not Messi for Palace. Uh, no, sadly. Although I think he could probably do a job um, up top for them. Um, <laughs> Maybe. So I... <laughs> I reckon he could maybe score like 10, 15 goals a season there. So, yeah, that'd be a good <laughs> signing. Um, so, I uh, what I've been telling my uh, my good friend Roy is that in order to keep Wilfred Zaha, which is crucial these days, mm-hmm. we need to show some intent. And we need to make a real big money signing that is going to 
A, take some of the attacking pressure off his shoulders, mm-hmm. and B, show him that we mean business and we want to progress up the table. A statement of intent. So, I have gone for a player by the name of Musa Diaby. Ooh. Who is a left-footed left winger, but can also play on the right. Currently at Bayer Leverkusen. He joined them in 2019 from PSG. Uh, and he is touted as one of the most exciting, vibrant, attacking young players in Europe at the moment. Um, he's still on the precipice of blowing up. And I think that because he got bought for, for 10 million a year ago, I think something in the region of 30 million, 35 could quite easily prize him away. I think that's the amount that you'd need to spend. I think that's the amount that he's worth. Um, and I think he'd be a really solid signing for them. Yeah, and you know, it, it's one of those things you might have um, certainly my initial reaction, and, and I'm sure some of our listeners as well will be sort of, you're going to go from PSG to Leverkusen and Leverkusen to Palace. But uh, it, the Premier League, and especially playing in London, is, is a huge appeal for players. If you think about players like for sure. Hesse, yeah. for example, who I think went from PSG to Stoke, or Shakiri was another one who went from Bayern Munich to Stoke, or... Um, Marco Anasovic, who went from, from Inter Milan, I think it was, to Stoke. I mean, Stoke with a... Ibrahim Afalai from... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, but Hoi- Hoiberg as well, you know, went from Bayern Munich down to Southampton. So, it's, you, know, sure. you know, the allure of the Premier League is a thing. And if you're a player at one of these top clubs and you're looking for that next step to maybe sort of make a name for yourself outside of, of you know, playing for a, for a solid club, um, it, it can often be the way forwards. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I like that signing. Uh, I, I could see it working out very well as well. Uh, nice. We've um, got Everton next, uh, and would you like to give us the uh, the Everton news to begin with? Yeah, Everton are a cool one because obviously, well, not a cool one. It's more exciting as a uh, director of sports or an assistant manager like ourselves mm-hmm. because you know you think they've got a little bit more ambition in the market, a little bit more money at their disposal, and they are looking to push on from the start of their season, which has been really strong. Um, obviously. In my mind, where I think they could improve is in centre-back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked about that before. I think that, you know, they've got a really good balance in midfield. They've got good depth. They could maybe do with a, another striker, but they've got options. It's just hard to tell whether or not, you know, they're going to they're gonna really pull through. Mm-hmm. So I think centre-back is the safest place. I think someone like, um, yeah, I just think their centre-back pairing could definitely be upgraded. So... Been looking at uh, Carlo Ancelotti's history, who he goes for, the kind of systems he plays. And I've got two options. Um, One is Costas Manolas, who is from Napoli, Mm -hmm. obviously already has a great relationship with um, Alan and um, Carlo Ancelotti himself. Uh, He's really quick. He's good at reading the game. um, Decent uh, on his feet. But the actual player that I thought, if they want to be ambitious in the market, could be a really good signing for them is Alessio Romagnoli. Ooh. I mean, that that would be um, very ambitious indeed. But, you know, it, it is someone that, you know, the allure of Ancelotti added on to, you know, the fact that Everton looked really good this season wouldn't be the most yep, The opportunity to play with Hamas Rodriguez yeah. as well, for example. Um, he is an incredibly exciting young centre-back at Milan at the moment. Um, he's been touted as kind of the next big thing in Italian football for a while. Great reader of the game. He's he's excellent at playing out from the back, very quick on his feet. He's pretty solid enough in the air as well um, for the way that he plays and the strengths that he has. 
I think that he could do a, a really solid um, job in Everton's defence. Oh, I agree. I, I think I, I rate him so highly that I think he's a, the kind of player that you could put him in any team in the league and he'd improve them. I don't think any team in the Premier League right now wouldn't start him and improve with him as a player. Um, such such as he, wow. such as his his talent. Um, I have gone in a similar but in certain ways different direction to you because I agree that uh, Everton's weakness has been at the back. I think that their centre backs could stand to improve, but I think that you can prove them in a way other than directly bring in uh, another defender. And we've talked in recent episodes about the importance of a keeper you know, standing behind the back four, marshalling his defence, giving them the confidence that, hey, we've got a guy who fills the net behind us. You know, Emmy Martinez has done that over at Villa. Definitely Edouard Mondi has come in at Chelsea and they've looked way more sturdy at the back when they know they've got a guy behind them that can, sort of, you know, look after his area instead of Kepa, who you saw always sort of second-guessing. Um, yeah, sure. And, and so I am looking at a keeper to replace Jordan Pickford. Um, and I would look at David Soria, who is the goalkeeper for Hatafe in La Liga. And he is someone who I could see really fitting Everton's style. He's kept 19 clean sheets since the start of last season. Most recently, he kept one against Barcelona. He's got the most sweeper-keeper actions of any goalie across Europe's top five leagues. And he was a vital part of a Hatafe side that finished eighth in La Liga last season and conceded the fourth least amount of goals, which is quite something when you consider that not only does La Liga have Real and Barca, who are always going to be in the mix there, but Simeone's Atleti. So basically, at best, you're fighting for fourth spot, and that's what they got with him in goal. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's a really good, um, it'd be a great signing. I think he's a really, really good keeper that is up and coming at the moment. Um, I think I was very close to looking at a keeper as well. I just felt like because they'd signed Robin Olsen at the start of the season, that they would be unlikely to dip back into the the market Mm -hmm. to pick up another goalkeeper in January. But that is not to say that it wouldn't be a great signing for them because it's something that they need to improve for the long term. So any, you know, I think they can do. I think getting a keeper, if you look at the transfer windows as like going to the doctor's office and to, to do surgery on your team, like having a, a midfielder that isn't quite up to the level or having like a winger that isn't quite scoring as many goals is like going to the doctors because you've like got a grazed knee, you've got a sneeze, whereas having a keeper that isn't good enough is like your brain has fallen out of your ear. You need to be in surgery immediately. And I think, you know, for, we've seen that, for example, with Chelsea, who not only did they spend all that money on uh, Kepa very, very recently, but they've also brought back Petr Cech as a member of the playing squad and then they also brought Mondi and they, they weren't afraid to go okay we need we can't just sit around and go we've already bought one we need to get another one right now and I do think you know Pickford has played in a lot of games this season and either lost Everton games outright or come close to being the one losing them games um, and I think between now and January he's going to have made the case for himself that he needs to be replaced. Yeah, I absolutely hear you. And I think, um, you know, it's a good statement of intent to say we're not willing to just uh, hope for the best by the end of the season. We want to get as high in the league as we can. Mm -hmm. So we're going to replace the Deadwood as soon as possible. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, looking at Fulham next, and I've I've got an interesting one here with Fulham because I've gone <laughs> not in contravention of the rules that we've set up here, but it, I've, I've gone for something that yeah, what have you that, that I think is is just makes more sense for me is with Fulham, and I think that the signing that Fulham needs to make is signing the players that are already at their club. Um, to be more specific, the temporary loan players they have. 
Um, and Fulham started the season really poorly and then went hell for leather at the back end of the summer window and added loads of potential quality. So I don't know that when you've got six new starters coming in and integrating into the squad that you need more players starting because that can sometimes go really horribly. We saw that with Fulham themselves two years ago. We've seen that with Valencia when they were managed by Gary Neville. Um, I, I just don't think that more players is necessarily going to benefit and actually could do the opposite. Um what I do think they need to do is start looking at making some of these loan deals permanent. Now, already a few of them are loans with obligations to buy, but some of them are just straight sure. up loans. And I think, you know, the six players they've got on loan at the club at the moment, Alphonse Ariola, Wackham Anderson, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mario Lamina, Adam Ola-Lukman and Ola Reina are all players that are going to be really important moving forwards and have been already. And I think certainly for Fulham, it's kind of worrying to think about, okay, if they pull off an Aston Villa or a West Ham, and they stay up by the skin of their teeth this season because of those players, where does that leave them next season when all of those players suddenly pat their bags and head off? It's not a great position to be in, and maybe they keep some of them with the obligations to buy, but maybe the finance aren't going great, and the the club aren't backing them because they've done really poorly, so I think now is the time to, wherever possible, nail those signings down. And I do also think, you know, players are always going to be fairly professional, but I do think if you're a loanee, sometimes, especially if you're a loanee for a club that's in peril, you're kind of less invested in the crisis, um, which can just be really, really, really dangerous at the back end of a season if you're in a relegation dogfight. So I think you need to give the players sure. a bit more of a vested interest in sort of going, hey, listen, man, if we go down, you're not just going back to your, your parent club. You're coming down with us, so you better start putting your scoring boots on. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of players also have, like, causes in their contracts and stuff like that especially you know the ones that have ambitions beyond uh ending up in um england's second league mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think that obviously it'd be great to get those players especially someone like alphonse Ariola. i mean what a a lift he he is giving the club already mm-hmm. and would give if he signed permanently um so yeah definitely a lot of value added by getting those players to stick around um i have Interestingly, I've gone, my signing's a little strange because I think that their window is quite weird because obviously they bought a lot of players and they brought a lot of players into the club. But I don't really think that, for example, the two centre-backs that they picked up um, in Tosin, Adarobioyo and Wachim Anderson, I've just butchered those (laughs) pronunciations. Both of them have perfectly butchered. (laughs) Wachim. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't think that those signings are adequate. I think that they need to invest seriously in it. But in January, I think that in order to tie them over, it's going to be another player on loan. Um, and the player that I've gone for is someone that very nearly joined West Ham on loan at the beginning of the season, which is Fikayo Tomori, uh, who's Chelsea youngster. In the end, he chose to stay at the club. Uh, Chelsea and fight for his place but he has so far not found his place and I think that by January he'll be ready to set out and find a new club for at least six months and I think that he would bring a lot of poise and energy and solidity to Fulham's defence. Can I take the wind out of your sails slightly? Yeah. If just, I mean, we're operating in dreamland here, so maybe this comes as a player, one of the current loanees is signed permanently, but Fulham actually can't sign for Kaya Tomori on loan because you're only allowed to sign... Oh, because they've already got Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Mario Lamina, and you're only allowed to sign two players uh, on loan from other English clubs in one window. 
in one window. In, in, in one season, rather. So you, you can have as many loanees from other clubs, as other countries as you want, but you can only have two loan players registered from other Premier League and English clubs. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> okay, well, he's he's going to West Ham then. No, no, no. Uh, in this dream scenario, they've done what, what I've said, and they've permanently signed Ruben Loftus-Cheek, freeing up a spot for Fakayo Tomori to come in. Oh, yeah, job done. Then we're exactly. Sorted. You know... I think uh, <clears throat> what we didn't say beforehand is that you know both of these signings are coming into effect. <laughs> exactly. Uh, when we said like we've been we enjoying our role, that, then uh, we we must have missed that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when we said we were enjoying our role but, uh, as assistant manager and director of football, that was respectively, not alternatively. Oh yeah, <laughs> we've Absolutely. both gone we into are. the club. <laughs> Double teaming uh, Scott Parker right now. And what a um, what a visual image that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's good we work in radio. Um, <laughs> okay. Fakai Tomori, you're at the club. Well done. Um, moving on to Leeds, and I shall take the reins and go first this time. Um, it's quite an uninspired signing, but it's one that uh, would bring a lot of value to the club. It's someone that they pursued at the end of last season. So, the end of this, uh, the end of last season, someone who played for them at the end of last season, it's Ben White. Okay, I mean that it makes a lot of sense as a signing, obviously because he knows that system. They've tried to get him again; they they really like him. Um, if they could, that'd be I amazing. Think, yeah, it's obviously going to be very hard to prize him away from um, Brighton, but I do think that he's not being played in in position, and he had a great season under Marcelo Bielsa. I think you know it's not going to be insulting anyone to say that it's probably a lot more exciting over. Um, Ellen Road and I also just feel like at this point you know the player has a certain amount of power mm-hmm. and if he wants to move he knows that Leeds want him he had a good time there I think that if he does hand in a transfer request which is a valid thing to do uh, when the club turns around and goes you're staying you're not going we don't want you to go anywhere mm-hmm. um, against the player's wishes it's a, yeah, I think that it could happen yeah, I don't disagree. I think if he really wants the move, he, he'll make it happen. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I do rate that signing, and it, it obviously makes sense um, for, for them as a, as a team. Um, I've gone in a similar direction uh, in terms of position and utility, but a different player. Um, I agree they need another centre-back. Um, I also agree they need a centre-back who, like Ben White, is able to play as a centre-back, but also in that sort of central defensive midfield position. Can also play as a full-back, the player that I've gone for. And that's Stefan Ambrosius from Hamburger SV, who are in the Ooh. second division of Germany at the moment. Um, okay. This is uh, another player they tried to put a move together for in October, uh, and they couldn't quite make it happen, but that signals to me that there's evidence that Bielsa sees him as a player who could work in his system I think that that's one of the things that's most important looking at a team like Leeds you know obviously there are certain te- every team has got to have a player that works with a manager but I think Leeds are one of the most where they have to be a Bielsa player or it's just not going to work um, Yeah, and, and I think you know CB is, is his main position but he can play as a fullback defensive midfielder that is the kind of player who will excel in a Bielsa system that demands that players play in all sorts of different positions position and you wake up and you think you're a striker and then all of a sudden it's match day and you're playing in goal so you, you know <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a player that yeah I think would, would fit to that quite well yeah absolutely I think um also no surprise I guess based on what you said that they have to fit into the Bielsa system that we've both picked players that they've already shown interest in 
um, if not already have played there before. Yeah. So no, absolutely. yeah, I mean, I think that'd be a that'd be a real Bielsa signing as well, taking a relative unknown from a second division in a foreign league and just turning them into, uh, you know, a really really good solid squad player. So I, I like it. Good job. Uh, before we move into the second half of our teams, uh, let's have a little bit of useless trivia. Uh, would you like to start us off? Yeah, I've got quite a funny little tidbit um, that I came across this week. Um, I was looking at some of the names of different teams, uh, stadiums and grounds. And I learned that uh, Scottish side Aberdeen's ground is called Pitodry, which um, loosely translates to place of manure. <laughs> God, it must be great being a rival fan. <laughs> I mean, like when they just give you the... Yeah, well, yeah, the, yeah uh, is it even fun at that point? <laughs> it's too easy it's too easy it's not fun um but uh yeah i mean we were talking about um i guess like what's the attraction of joining burnley um it's not quite the uh the endorsement of aberdeen is it for uh international players <laughs> no, i don't think so um i've gone for um a little bit of Premier League cult history. Um, some of our older or, or more nostalgic, uh, I, I should maybe say, uh, listeners might remember a player called Stefan Schwartz, who was a Swedish player who played for teams like Benfica, Arsenal and Fiorentina before ending his career at Sunderland. Um, but it was when he joined Sunderland in 1999 for a then club record fee of £4 million that the club decided to insert into his contract a space clause which stated that, if, yeah. stated that if he were to travel into space at any time, his contract would be immediately terminated. Um, Sunderland's chief executive at the time went on BBC Radio 5 Live and said that Schwartz's agent had secured a ticket on a commercial flight to space and they were trying to prevent a scenario where he invited Stefan as his guest. What's weird about that to me is that that was in 1999. In 2020, to the best of my knowledge, we haven't had like passenger like commercial passenger flights to no, space we have not. like there have been people we have not. who aren't astronauts that have gone up to like like engineers space stations but we haven't had like the virgin galactic type thing so what the hell were they talking about when they said they thought his agent had a ticket to go to space i have no idea do you think it's like something like i don't know the player himself has like a deep fascination and love for for science and outer space and kind of just told his agent like find me a ticket i i want to go uh very strange yeah no I, maybe but i don't think that that means you should be worried about him going to space i guess like it would depend on whether or not he was like ready to commit to being an astronaut at which point there's probably a lot of training involved and, and you might not make it to training on uh, <laughs> on tuesday at the, at the the club you've just come off the centrifuge um, and you can't do anything for set pieces because you're vomiting on the, on the side of the pitch so stumble into a star signing <laughs> <laughs> um Looking at Leicester City next, um, I think Leicester are an- another weird one because not only have they done extremely well so far this season, but they've managed to do so without half their starting players at one time or another because they've just been you know, blighted by injury. So as a result, for me, when you look at the weak areas of their games that they've played so far, there are often players that should be starting ahead that are in the medical room. Um, you, sure, yeah. You know, so it's, so it's difficult for me to go, oh, in this game, Leicester were really bad because Christian Fuchs was playing there because... They should have, you know, Castagna or Justin or someone like that playing instead or looking at, you know, games where Vardy's been out. Um, but the one area I could look at of them thinking about improving is not even necessarily a signing that would 
maybe be straight in the squad, but it's probably time to start thinking about life after Vardy for me. Um, he's really been in good form so far this season, and you know he, he could still be Zlatan-esque and have a few more years, but he's 33, and I think it's probably, even if he does continue on for, let's say, two, three more years, it's probably the perfect time to pick up an understudy and blood him in slowly. Um, and my choice for that would be a young striker, a very similar profile, who is Briel Mbolo. Um, who is someone who has been highly rated for years. Okay. He is young, he's talented, he's quick and powerful, and I think he'd be a great player to sort of develop as what I would, what I would call Vardy's heir. Nice. Yeah, um, I could definitely see, uh, see that working, and it's definitely something that they need to um, start looking into if they haven't already. Um, tell me a little bit more about him as a player. So he's played in the Swiss leagues and the German leagues. Um, he has a, a very interesting scoring record because actually this season he has not scored as many goals as he would like because often due to his pace he gets played out wide. Um, but I think that that could, for me, he's almost like a like-for-like replacement with Jamie Vardy. He's very, very quick. He does have a little bit of, for lack of a better word, shithousery about his game. <laughs> um, and I think <laughs> if he was sort of inducted yes. into the squad and allowed to sort of learn from Jamie's ways and be given the sort of ceremonial Lucasade bottle full of port, he could grow into that kind of player <laughs> um, that, you know, Leicester could go in a completely different direction. But I think that, with the squad they have, which is a lot of their squad is, is very young still, I think Vardy is one of the outliers, to allow a sort of transition without having too much of a, of a bump, I think they would probably want to have a player that could play in an almost identical role. And when I look at the players around Europe you've got who have that pace, have a bit of nastiness about their game, but also sort of just power and ability to score from a, ver- a variety of situations, um, I think Mbolo is the one that would suit Leicester most um, for me. Nice. Yeah, he sounds great. I'm, I'm ready to commit. Um, very nice. I, uh, on the other hand, have gone in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you that it's hard to tell kind of what it is that they need right now. Um, and what I thought was just um, something that I think, you know, all clubs could use at any, at most times, is um, a little bit more midfield um, depth to just flesh out their squad. Um, So I have gone for a player who has been linked to a number of Premier League sides in the past. Um, He's a 26-year-old midfielder from the French League where Leicester have had a lot of success in the past. Um, And it is uh, Morgan Sanson. Oh, who I think was maybe nearly went to Newcastle this summer. He's, he's nearly joined Newcastle before. He's nearly joined West Ham before. He's been linked to Arsenal in the past. Um, Fulham, Burnley, I think, have also looked at him. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely on the radar for a lot of um, Premier League sides. And to me, that means that, you know, obviously, like, many clubs are recognising that there's something about his game that could potentially translate well to the Premier League. Um, he's a really well-rounded player. He's been um, compared to people like uh, Ruben Neves in the past mm-hmm. who, you know, can contribute both offensively and defensively. I think that he fits the bill for Leicester. He maybe it would be quite a lot of money for a backup player, but I think that he would also kind of very easily slip into uh, rotation there and, and add a lot of value. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's not a bad area to be looking at for Leicester because we mentioned how Vardy is sort of one of the outliers who's a bit older, but also, um, you know, the midfield is somewhere where there are a few ageing players for Leicester, certainly Mark Albrighton. For sure. Um, 
So, yeah, no, I think it could be a good time to, to look at replacements there. Uh, Newcastle United next. Who have you got for them? Good, good. So, um, Newcastle, I think that uh, they really need to shore up their defence. They need, um, you know, they were, they were very close to signing. Oh, I can't remember who it was off the top of their head. Off the top of my head. Very close to signing a, um, a good centre-back in the summer and I think that they're going to look for that same kind of player because they just missed out. Mm-hmm. Someone who ha- can have a bit of leadership, a lot of calmness, a lot of discipline. So I have chosen a player who is coming to the end of his contract again. He's 31, but he's got a lot of class and a lot of experience. It's it's quite ambitious potentially, but it's Sven Bender. Ooh, that's interesting because, you know, obviously... He was uh, a player after that almost Pulis-esque career who transitioned back to centre-back with age. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, he definitely um, So started off as a, um, I think it was a central defensive midfielder, mm-hmm. um, and then has moved to centre-back with age. And I think that, you know, he would just do a, a great job of kind of dictating play and being a leader in that defence, which is, I think, what Newcastle need right now. And I don't think he would be very expensive because his contract is up. I think that he would relish the chance of a new challenge. Um, he's only ever played in Germany in his career. So why not now at the ripe old age of 31? Um, I think he, you know, he's built well enough for the Prem. Very solid, six foot one. Um, that's that's my that's my take. Uh, yeah, you know, I could definitely see him as a Newcastle player. You know, a bit of a cultured foreign midfielder is, is something they've, they're no strangers to. I think he might struggle to transition to life in England, not because of any of his abilities on the pitch, but I think it would be exceptionally difficult for any player to wear a shirt that says Bender on the back um, in, in front of English fans. So, you know, I think that was that that would provide a, a, a unique challenge. Let's call it. You say that, you know, cult heroes are made for, of less. Well, that's, that's, that's definitely another way of looking at it. Um, I agree with you that um, Newcastle have a real need to upgrade at centre-back. I look at Federico Fernandez, and I think he's old. He's often full of a mistake for me. He's one of those players that I, always, like, I assume he starts games on a yellow card. Um, and I just think, yeah, sure. in general, their defence needs a bit of sharpening up. I could also maybe see them moving for a striker to allow Alan San Maximan to play more creatively, but then they're quite bloated in that area in their squad already because they've got Joe Linton on the books. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to... They need to get rid of Joe Linton. I definitely agree with that. But I wouldn't be surprised to move this. But I have uh, gone for a centre-back, and it might actually be the centre-back that you were referencing because it was someone that they were close to getting over the line in the summer, and that was Marcao uh, of Galatasaray. Um, And I think he fits their style very well, Mm. specifically because he's a really good ball-playing centre-back. And we've already talked about how Newcastle are one of the sides that excels really well at the low block. They have the the lowest starting distance from their goal, which means they play in their own third a lot. And that means that a a ball-playing centre-back is a real asset because they like to play in their own half. They like to start moves from the back. So someone who can, you know, when you're sitting back, the ball is going to come to a defender. You need someone who's going to be able to effectively play that forwards and kind of start the move. Um... He's also a really good physical presence. I can see him being the first step of that counter-attacking move, which is just something that's going to happen a lot for Newcastle. He's a player that, you know, partly because they have identified him as that, once I looked into him as, as to why, I, I agree with all those reasons and think he would be um, a signing that would not only be an improvement in terms of quality, but an improvement in terms of areas they haven't necessarily taken full advantage of yet. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think that... 
he sounds like um, he could be a really solid signing for them. I can't remember. No, I can't remember who it was that they uh, almost signed. I don't think it was him because I think he actually ended up going to somewhere else instead. Mm. Um, but never mind. Um, nice signing. I think that, yeah, it's centre-back for Newcastle. It's got to be. And interested to see where they go in January if they do indeed decide to go in January. Uh, looking at um, Sheffield United next. Now, this is the one that I kind of wrote this. I mean, I was putting a lot of faith in the fact that Sheffield have got new owners. They seem to be very ambitious with the signing of Rian Brewster. Um, and this is a signing that I think is... It's not as ambitious as Alessandro Romagnoli, but I think it is one that if Sheffield signed the player, everyone would go, wow, that that's a real statement. Um, and just, just to sort of give give a preamble, they, they've signed Rian Brewster, um, but we haven't yet really seen the results of that signing. Um, they still need to add to their attacking lineup. Um, they need someone who is a winger or an attacking midfielder or someone who's a bit creative and a player who has all of those under their belt would represent a perfect solution to their woes. Um, I wonder if we've gone for the same player. We might have. Um, And I do think that, just for me, the fact that Sheffield spent £23.5 million on a young player, Rian Brewster, that that hadn't at the time set the foot in the Prem, um, suggests that they would maybe make a signing that I think would be in the region of £30 million, which is Domenico Berardi of Sassuolo. Um, and for those not familiar with him, Berardi is one of those players. Wow. He's a lot like a Ross Barkley or a Mario Balotelli that he's always shown glimpses of being a top player, but he's never really had the right platform to do so. He was co-owned by Juventus for a few years, and then they decided to cut their losses and send him back to Sassuolo. He's Sassuolo's longest standing player at the moment, but I don't think they'd be too unhappy to let him go because even their current manager, Roberto De Zerbi, has said of him that he's really underrated, and when he plays for a bigger club, he'll get the recognition he deserves. So I think that they are kind of willing to go, you know, for the right amount, let him sort of flourish in a, in a more conducive environment. Um, you might argue that Sheffield aren't a bigger club than Sassuolo in today's game. But again, as we've talked about the allure of the Premier League, it could be the career switch for Berardi that he needs to take his game to the next level. Um, and I just think wow. being, you know, a proficient assist provider, really good creatively, uh, plays on the wing, plays the four, plays an AM. Um, yeah, I think he could just he'd be a real panacea for Sheffield's troubles. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, he could be a great signing for them. I, I didn't even think of him. It's not someone that. Uh, it's not the same person that I picked. Um, I agree with you. I think um, definitely some uh, some attacking impetus is what's needed. I've gone in a slightly different um, direction. I've gone for a midfielder who is a little bit more of a deep line playmaker, but can also push forward and kind of contribute in the goals. I just kind of thought, you know, someone that can start plays from deep, ping it wide to those um, those wings and wing backs, and also, you know, uh, shoot from distance and be an attacking threat. Um, so again, it's an ambitious signing. Mm-hmm. Someone that I think would make people stand up and go, wow, okay, Sheffield want to make a really good go of staying in the Prem. Mm-hmm. Sergio Oliveira from Porto again. Wow, yeah, and again, that's I can see why you thought we were maybe sort of going for the same area because it's a very bold signing, someone who has a lot of fluency in all the attacking positions. Sure thing. He's 27 years old, um, so he's really just getting into his best playing years. He's only on about 10k wages. Mm-hmm. Um, he's valued in the teens. I think he'd probably have to go for about 25 minimum mm-hmm. um, to get him away, but. Yeah, I think he would just be a uh, a really, really good signing for them. Um, and, you know, I think he's almost six foot, so 
could still, you know, is physical enough to to make it in the Prem. Yeah, to to and especially to mix it with Sheffield's style of play. For sure. Um, I mean, wow, Sheffield with uh, Berardi and uh, Oliveira coming in. They're looking great. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, the goals are coming. <laughs> there you go. Uh, looking at... uh, moving into Southampton, um, who have you gone for this time? So I think where Southampton need uh, a little bit of reinforcement is a creative midfielder. I think that they need a player who can kind of conversely in the way that I started by talking about how Villa needed a sort of a more defensive-minded partner for Douglas Louise. I kind of feel like this is a person who could be a more attacking-minded partner for James Ward-Prowse, um, but is also a slightly more attacking player than him. Uh, a pivot featuring these two, for me, would be a really good way to open up sides when Southampton feel likely to be on the front foot, and a three-man midfield with these two and Oriol Romeo would offer a lot of balance if they went for a 4-3-3 uh, with Ings flanked by wingers. Uh, and this player can also play, and has played uh, for a lot of times this season, as a left-sided midfielder in a 4-4-2, which is what we've seen a lot from Southampton this season. So I think he can fit in a variety of different systems, really help out, you know, partnering any of their midfielders, and this is uh, Vincenzo Grifo from Freiburg, playing the Bundesliga. Ooh, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think he could definitely fit in a lot of different ways. I would really like to see the partnership between him and James Ward-Prowse Particularly, I do think that maybe one of the areas that Southampton struggle sometimes is in that pivot. They have Oriol Romay, who I think has his uses. I don't think he's a player that doesn't deserve to play for them or shouldn't be in the mix. But I do think that sometimes they get slowed down in that role by him sort of plodding about a bit, which is, you know, a, a role that sometimes sure. you need. But I think they'd look a lot more exciting if they had a player like this playing alongside Ward Browse. Yeah, definitely. Um, a really exciting player. Um, he's got a lot of strengths. Um, he's a great passer of the ball. He He's good at taking set pieces. Um, and yeah, holds on to it well. Um, always looking forwards. Um, I actually looked at him as well as a potential signing Ooh. for Southampton. Um, ended up going in a different direction. But uh, I've gone for a similar player. Maybe someone who will cost a little bit more um, and would be a little bit more ambitious. Um, but in a similar mould of midfielder is um, Wylan Cyprian. Okay. Um, so he is 25, 26 now. Um, again, a really good, um, I would say, he. I'd say I'd use the term maybe quite explosive, maybe a little bit more explosive than Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Mm-hmm. But again, like a lot of physicality in the midfield, um, contributes well to attack and has had his eye on a move into England for a number of years now. And it hasn't quite... Um, manifested for him yet um i think yeah he could work really well in their four two three one that's his preferred position um nice um works quite well as like a boxer box midfielder i think um he could bring a lot of dynamism i think it's funny that we've both i mean well, maybe it's not that ridiculous because it is an area they seem to be missing but we've both sort of gone for hoiberg type replacements well yeah i mean i think um we've talked before about how they're just really missing a player in that base of, of the midfield that did Hoiberg's um, role. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've looked so easily torn apart sometimes and it's because these midfield players are getting so much time on the ball that they are just able to pick passes and Southampton are just having their defence like riddled with holes because there's no one closing down in the midfield. Uh, yeah, um, so and, in the and, same and way that's that, it. It's not even necessarily closing down, but like... Just, just, just not even like a traditional defensive midfielder because obviously that's not what Hoiberg was, but, but just someone to sort of make midfielders think and give them less time on the ball because they're occupying good spaces. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, we've talked a lot about how 
a, a really good goalkeeper makes centre backs look way better. A really good midfield makes a defence look so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, he he would cost a, probably a fair bit. Um, <laughs> do you know what? I, I didn't think I was being very ambitious when I first started out when we talked about it. I've, I've made some pretty big calls here. Um, <laughs> I, I think so it's, it's good to have that mixture. I think that we've both had some ambitious ones and some conservative ones. Um, I've gone That's true, yeah. fairly conservative for, for my guess for, for West Bromwich Albion. But I think it's a player that, for me, it, it some of the players that have been brought up in this conversation, I really liked, for example, uh, your uh, Sven Bender, at um, at Newcastle, I think that's a, it's a, such a, a player they would go for, um, and some of the players that we looked at for Leeds as well were great. Someone I sure. would view as a real West Brom player is um, Fabio <laughs> De Silva. Um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fabio, formerly of United and the sweet life of Raphael and Fabio. Um, West Brom have not been the tidiest side at the back this season, and you know they started off really poorly there, and they made it worse by loaning out Ahmed Hagazi to to a Saudi club, Al Ittihad. Um, Slavin Bilic was absolutely fuming when this happened, and you know the Egyptian was a really important part of their club. He he wasn't necessarily a starter this season, but you know they've had a lot of injuries, they've been rotating lots to try and find out what works, and they've loaned out you know, probably to lose permanently, one of the key players, you know, he's played over 104 <laughs> times for the club. Um, so I look at Fabio as not so much as a like-for-like replacement, but as a player who brings in just a bit of general defensive utility. Um, he's sort of the less successful of the Twins because he didn't really make it at United, but he's put in shifts for club like sure. Middlesbrough, Cardiff, QPR, and I think that experience would suit him really well to West Brom. Um, he's got the best tackles per game of any player in Europe's top five leagues at the moment, which is wow, a, I didn't know an that. interesting little stat I picked up on. And because he can play at either fullback or on either side of a back three, he would really be a good addition to West Brom's sort of back five that they play very often and would be able to slot in in four of those five positions. Um, so I think he'd be a, yeah, well. a, a really, really, really good signing for West Brom to pick up. And someone that I don't think mm. they'd have a huge amount of t- difficulty picking up either. Yeah, I mean, he also, um, I think he even started his career as a centre defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. So he's got that flexibility um, and he is good enough on the ball that he can yeah pick it up anywhere and um, distribute effectively. Yeah, um, good signing. I like it. Um, I've gone for someone also in the defence who's a little bit less tactically flexible, mm-hmm. but I think, uh, again, um, is an extremely West Brom player. <laughs> I've rode back my enthusiasm, my ambition. Um, I've looked at uh, Kieran Gibbs and thought, you're not good enough, but I want someone exactly like you, but different. Uh, so, so if you were Andre uh, Mariner, you would say Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> it's none other than um, Tottenham's own Danny Rose. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, no, I think that that is definitely a very West Brom signing, and also someone that they could pick up, you know, without too much difficulty. Yeah, I think he'd come cheap. Obviously, he's kind of been ousted from his role because of um, their new signing, Sergio Reguilon. I'm sure he wants to go. Um, he's he's kind of had a foot out the door in the past, but never quite. Um, managed to secure one and I think yeah now's the time for him to go and West Brom could do with him I think he would need like some you know um what's what's the oh god what's what's the movie I'm thinking of with the ultra violence and they, they drink milk like a montage clockwork orange he'd need like some clockwork orange style like <laughs> brain reimagining because I could so see Slavin Bittis being like Danny please stop making those runs up the pitch we're West Bromwich Albion <laughs> Please no, but you know what? He yes, he does. He does make some um, pretty rogue decisions at times, but he is still pretty good 
as a out and out defender mm-hmm. and he does also contribute a little bit to the attack so yeah if he can be reined in i think he could be a good sign i don't, I don't think I it's a problem with his general game honest, but just... i think slavon village probably has has that in him to be able to get the best out of him. I, I don't think it's like an, an issue like a persistent one but he just sometimes you would watch tottenham over the years and sometimes you'd just be watching them and you just see like a white shirt coming up the pitch at alarming pace while tottenham were just passing the ball around in the midfield <laughs> like, what is he, he doing he loses his head at times doesn't he <laughs> <It's just so laughs> um, yeah do you know what he's he's the kind of player um have you heard that story about Jose Mourinho talking um about I think it was a when he was at Inter Milan um playing in a Champions League match against Ruben Kazan and he was talking about Mario Balotelli uh, yeah it's one of my favorites but but go ahead for the, um, for the listeners so um Balotelli picks up a yellow card in the 40, like 43rd minute or so. And so at half time, Jose Mourinho spends like 14 out of the 15 minutes talking solely to Mario Balotelli, being like, we don't have any more strikers. They're out injured. They're suspended. You're literally the only person. We have no more subs. Please, please, please just don't touch any other player. Don't foul anyone. Don't get sent off. Red card, 46th minute. Just, just exceptional. In in the same way, I kind of feel like Danny Rose is the kind of player that sometimes you maybe have to like allocate a portion of the halftime talk to to be like, Danny, please, can you just handle yes. your Danny, business? Danny, we're one nil up. We're away. Please, please don't run up the pitch. <laughs> just stay in your half. Exactly. But, um, you know, he'd come cheap. I think um, he maybe might have some quite high wages, so he might either have to take a pay cut or go on loan and Tottenham would pay some of them. It's still in Tottenham's best interest because realistically he's not going to play much and he'd at least get part of his wages off the books. Mm. Um, so it's something that I can see happening. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think he, he definitely could fit the bill there. Um, and, and maybe, you know, we've joked about it, but maybe could also add a little bit of what, what West Brom need in terms of someone who's a little bit bold and can create sometimes from from deep areas. So, so, so yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, looking at West Ham United, I've again... Uh, gone for a player that they've been linked with ahead of January, um, someone they were trying to sign over the summer, but again, didn't quite do it, but have sort of persisted. Uh, because as a signing, it just does make sense to me. Uh, it's a centre-back, which is where West Ham are lightest in terms of quality for me. Um, and I think a young centre-back, which this player is, is a great choice to come in behind the likes of Angelo Ogbonna, who, weirdly, and I hadn't realised this until I was doing my research for this, is 32, which... Yeah, man. Do you remember? He's been around for so long. Do you remember when he was in, he was at Torino no, but, and but, before he moved to Juventus. But, in but like that, that was my thing. Just thinking about him as like a young nineteen-year-old at Torino, and he's just one of those players who has just forever been young in my head. And when I saw he was thirty-two, I was I kind of had one of those moments where I was like, "Where have the years gone? I too am now old and grey." <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I, know, yeah. I, also, I didn't know he was 32. That's pretty old. That's crazy. He's like not that far off retiring. And I still remember, like, I feel like it was three years ago that he was like a young prospect. I was about to look it up and he was going to be like 26 or 27. But anyway, back, back to my signing. Um, because Bonner oh, is 32 yeah. and Fabian Balbuena is, is 29. The centre-back I've gone for is uh, Frederick Alves Ibsen, who is a, a Danish centre-back playing over at Silkeborg. Um, looking at you know West Ham squad overall, I don't think that you would look to add more midfielders or attackers without essentially ending up in a situation where you're either paying someone's wages to you're paying someone's wages to not be a member of the team. You know whether that's the new signing or someone they've got to replace. So 
you know, they've already started games with, for example, like Young yeah, Lake sure. on the bench. They just don't need to add there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like the look of this centre back. I think it's someone who is, you know, young, maybe a little bit wide eyed, would need some time to sort of reach his, you know, get his tutelage under the, the older players, but could then come in maybe next season, maybe this season if he, you know, really hit the ground running. Uh, and if he did hit the ground running, could be a centre back that could rely on for years and years. Yeah, I mean, have you, um, uh, is this based on anything that you've picked this player? It was it was mostly that I think they needed a centre back, and I was looking at some of the options they'd been linked to, and I agreed with the the reasons that that they they looked at him mostly really. Yeah, because um, apparently they've already signed him. I think I, I mean like rumor has it they signed him a couple of days ago. I saw that they had been. Like this, I saw they've been this linked exact with player. him, but I don't know if it's been. It, it, it was. I, I don't think it's been officially agreed yet. So um, Silkeborg actually announced that they'd sold him, but didn't say which club to, but it is believed to be West Ham. Well, then I guess I'll just go. I, I didn't know that. So, I mean, I mean, I did know that. And I was the one who told David Moyes to sign him. <laughs> it was you. That was, I emailed David Moyes the paragraph that I have here in my notes. And based on that, he signed him. So... Yeah, um, so I mean, obviously we'll see if uh, if that move has manifested, but um, I think, good idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what about you? What, are you, what have you got for? Clearly, who, who have you um, got for they've so, also signed? So, um, I, um, so I, I mean, I am not ready to uh, admit defeat just yet. So I have my own pick for centre-back that I also have thrust into David Moyes' hands and demanded that he take a look at the uh, 30 hours of footage on my um, DVD. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a player that maybe he's not going to uh, win any like exciting contests, mm-hmm. but it's, um, I think, someone who very solid at the back and has Premier League experience, come in and do a job immediately, Steve Cook. Okay, yeah, you, you know what, that that's definitely fits the bill of the, the, the things you were talking about at the start of the episode, you know, players who have gone down and would be easier to pick up. I don't know that a Bournemouth defender after the season they had last year is going to be the, the answer to everyone's problems, but then again, he had some good games. Oh, don't try to undermine me in front of David. <laughs> Your signing is a is a pipe dream. Cameron. It'll never happen. He's a, he's a maverick, 20-year-old. He's got no experience in the top five leagues. So it's, it's, it's definitely true. It's, it's definitely one out there. But, um, but where, where Steve Cook does does have that experience. And, and in the right and, system. And West Ham have already signed him. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Potentially, maybe. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you're on to a good one. <laughs> uh, finishing us off is Wolverhampton Wanderers, which is quite an interesting one for me. I think that, you know, they're managed by a very pragmatic manager in Nuno. Sure. He's another one of those managers who you look at and you're only going to see players that he, you know, wants his kind of players working in his system. Um, and I look at Wolves and where their weak points are. And I think, you know, we've already discussed their occasional inability to get big attacking returns. Um, and that leads me to believe that their best possible signing would be a proven attacking player. Um, they've got a lot of attacking players who are potentially very exciting. You know, Pedence has had his bright spots. Pedro Neto has had his bright spots. Um, you know, the, the young player that they signed for uh, £35 million, who's an 18-year-old, hasn't really come in yet, but is potentially exciting. Um 
And obviously, Adama Traore has sort of been struggling with with uh, injury niggles. But um, the player that I would look at as uh, you know a perfect sort of mature in terms of the experience he's had and proven and able to get goals at the top level is Paco Alcalá, um, who I I just see him nice. as such a Nuno signing. Um, he's played at some of the best clubs in the world. When managed correctly, he's gone on unbelievably hot streaks. In his first spell at Dortmund, um, if you remember, he got 12 goals in 14 yeah, games. Such a good player. And this season for Villarreal, he's already got 8 goals in 10 games. Um, I, I think he's different enough to Jimenez that they could spark a really nice partnership. But I also think that they're similar enough that if he did come in, you know, in a game when Jimenez was injured, it wouldn't be a huge shock to the system and he could pick up the responsibilities that Jimenez currently has quite, quite easily. Um, and, you know, even though sort of conversely to Angelo Ogbonna, despite the fact that he seems like he's been around for ages, he's actually only 27. Um, so, yeah, it's weird. I remember um, I remember looking at him when he was at Dortmund thinking, wow, this guy, you know, must be, you know, in his 30s yeah. um, to have gone on loan from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, he was only 25 at the time. So, so, so you, you know, um, the only thing that would, there would be a point against this as a signing is that Villarreal are doing really well this season so far. I think they're fourth in the in La Liga, uh, in the Liga's table. So it might be tricky to prize him away. But if Wolves can find the cash, which, you know, if they're willing to spend £35 million on an 18-year-old, I'm sure they can sort of fiddle around in their pockets to try and find the money for a proven attacking player that, as I discussed with Nuno just yesterday, and he agreed with me, is a Nuno player. Um, so <laughs> I, I think he'd massively improve them. Yeah, brilliant. Do you know what? I... Um... I'm ready to give up my guy and go with your dude. Um, I think Paco Alcacer would be such a good signing and I could see him doing absolute bits in partnership with Raul Jimenez up front. Um, I have identified the same problem, which is creative output. I've gone in completely the opposite direction in that I've tried to assess um, who Wolves always sign as a style of player Mm. and also who I think if it pulls off, which it might not, has the potential to take Wolves up a notch again, which is, I think, in my mind, what they're always looking to do. They're always investing. They're always looking to um, take that next leap. And the player that I have identified is Portuguese. He is... Um, who His agent is... Um, I was trying to think of the, uh, <laughs> the verb. He's agented by um, Jorge Mendes. Um, George Mendes and uh, massive upside hasn't quite realised it yet had a sit in the Prem didn't go too well so far Renato Sanchez oh okay, yeah and, and you know that that's definitely a signing that, that for all the reasons you've mentioned kind of ticks a lot of the Wolves boxes um, and yeah, no, he, he he kind of had a very weird season for Swansea, which, you know, we were talking earlier about players that came from, like, massive clubs to, you know, slightly unglamorous Premier League clubs as evidence that that happens. You're from Bayern Munich to Swansea. A one. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, he did have a really weird year. And I think um, it was the same year that they also had Tammy Abraham on loan. Mm. And again, both players just found it so hard to create any sort of, um, you know, meaningful attacking positive football in a side that was so sluggish and so lethargic um, in in their attacking play. So I don't begrudge him uh, for having struggled in that side. I think that Wolves is kind of vibrant attacking um, mixed with their defensive facility is the right, um, it's the right atmosphere for him to grow as a player because I think that at times people have said that his concentration isn't the best. Mm -hmm. I think Wolves, Wolves is the place for him to work on that. 
Um, I think, I mean, obviously it's a gamble, unlike yours. But if it could come off, I think it'd be a great signing. And of course, as always, you know, it's a, another thing that we spoke about in the past, but you can never underestimate the importance of, you know, the ease of cultural transition, sharing a common language with the manager and several other players. Oh, of Because course, he shares yeah. an agent with several of the other players there. He presumably knows a lot of them, will have played with them at international level. So he is going to be able to sort of jump in and feel a lot more at home than a lot of players will who, who join a new club. Look at that. We've gone from a uh, fighting uh, at West Ham to, uh, <laughs> to, to coming to, together in the spirit of collaboration. Do you think that maybe uh, echoes the, uh, the the club atmosphere where we've been talking with the managers? West Ham with David <laughs> Moyes, everything, the office is literally on fire and we've both been like, our stress turned up to 11 and Wolves with like nice, <laughs> calm, like <laughs> very chilling presence of, of Nuno. We're like, hey it's man, hey man, it's good idea. No, you have a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like there's something in that, weirdly. I don't know how it's uh, managed to translate to us, but um, definitely I feel like you know, we've, West Ham are, are not in the best place. Um, they, they need to get rid of a lot of their deadwood before they even consider signing some new players. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it does feel like there is a little bit of infighting, doesn't it? Especially <laughs> with um, things like the sale of Grady Dean Garner. Yep. Uh, Mark Noble coming out and tweeting about it. Um yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a weird old time. Definitely, big, big stress. Uh, in East London. Um, it's time, I'm afraid, Rupert. Unless you have built a, a, up a little reservoir of knowledge in in the time that we've spoken about all the clubs to resolve guessing game. Um, and I'm just going to read out the clues again uh, for both your benefit and the listeners, and then you can have a guess, a question, and another guess. Um, so going in order, um, this player played for Manchester City. Real Madrid and Liverpool. He is one of only three Englishmen to ever win two Champions League titles. And despite this impressive list of accolades and a playing career spanning over 33 years, he only received 37 call-ups to his national side. Yeah, you know what? I, I Can I ask a question? You, you can ask a question uh, after you've had your first guess, if you like. I've been having a bit of a mind blank. Mm -hmm. Is it Michael Owen? You know, it's not Michael Owen, but this question was designed to make you think that it was Michael Owen. I didn't think it was Michael Owen because (laughs) I don't think he played for Man City. And I I think he's got more than 37 caps for England. But I'm just having a real mind blank over who it could be. I, I just seem to have some sort of like blank space in my head when I'm thinking of, like early 2000s English players in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm struggling, man. I'm really struggling. Would you like a question to see if that could that sort of helps shake anything loose? My, my question was going to be, did he ever play for Stoke? Uh... No, he, the, the clubs I listed are in fact the only clubs he ever played for. Uh, okay. Um... The only clubs he's ever played for mm-hmm. are Manchester City, Real Madrid, and Liverpool. In which order? Uh, <laughs> that's that's my question. <laughs> well, that it was actually the reverse order to which I read them out because I was trying to be sneaky. He up. started at Liverpool, made a very big money move from Liverpool to Real Madrid, um, and then finished his career at Manchester City. Is it um? Is it Jamie Carragher's Fantasyland? 
<laughs> Jenny Carragher's fancy land. <laughs> is it? Is it what happens in his dreams? Uh, I don't think he ends at Man City in his dreams. Not anymore, certainly. I just think so he can have a more complete um, rivalry with Gary Neville. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it, it is not a, a fancy Jamie, Jamie Carragher. Is that, is that your guess, or would you like to, to hazard another? Oh, I'm, I'm really struggling. Is, uh, no, I can't think of anyone. I give up. Uh, well, congratulations I'm gonna, I'm gonna to any listeners who have got it this far. Um, although this won't then help you guess, Reaper, this is a player who is currently on our airwaves as, in my opinion, the worst pundit on BT Sport, uh, or, or commentator at least. It is <laughs> Steve McManaman. Steve McManaman, of course it is. Ah, oh. of course. Born in I... Bootle, Liverpool, and growing up as an Everton fan, uh, Steve started his career at Liverpool before being what many considered to be one of the first Galacticos when he moved to Real Madrid uh, and yeah. finished his career at Manchester City. He is one of only three Englishmen to ever have won the two Champions League titles, um, which the other two are weirdly you would think it might be someone who had played at like uh you know liverpool and that team and had somehow carried over or for chelsea perhaps uh or united would be another big contender but actually the others were owen hargreaves and daniel sturridge um and uh despite this uh impressive list of accolades and a career spanning over 33 years he only ever received 37 call-ups to his national side he had a very weird international career where different managers didn't want to play him and had reasons to not necessarily start him in their system and you know there were various injuries as well involved in that so um congratulations to anyone who managed to get that uh, I did think that the Liverpool and Real Madrid link was going to lead you a little bit astray into Michael Owen territory. Um, so I'm glad that it oh, did. Yeah, I oh, just, oh, so annoying. As soon as you said it, I just thought, oh, it's <laughs> Stephen Um I just couldn't think. I could not think. It's it's a tough old, it's a tough old game when you're, you're under the lights and you're in front of the microphone, for sure. I, I've been in that position. Um, but congratulations to any of our listeners that managed to yeah. resolve it. Yeah. Well done. Um, well done, well done. Rupert, really some really interesting signings uh, from you, and great to talk to you as always. Yeah, Cam, I liked yours too. Um, I'm glad that uh, glad we had this talk. And thanks guys for listening, as always. Thanks everyone, take care, bye-bye. Bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron MacDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.